This is Amanda, and this is Vocal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. We are on episode 49, and today our guest is Lisa Marion. She's a music teacher from Nathan Hale Arts Magnet School in New London, Connecticut. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Good morning, ladies. I'm great. How about you? Pretty all good at, you know, all things considered pretty (laughs) good. That's right. We're all still here. (laughs) Success. So Lisa, we always like to start these episodes giving people a little bit of a background into how you got into music and acapella. What drew you here? I was trying to think about that when you called me for the interview. And so many of those of you who I've met in the acapella world since I've gotten into it grew up singing acapella or your parents sang acapella or you had an acapella group in high school. And I had none of that. <laughs> so I'm just honored to have a seat at the table. But I thought to myself, somehow I must have gotten here. I didn't just like show up one day. So I realized that I guess I've always been drawn orally to close harmony. When I was a kid, my mom and I lived with my grandparents. So they were playing music from the 40s on LPs. So that meant I heard groups like the Hilos. I heard more adult contemporary pop groups like the Lennon Sisters. But then I also heard Brazil 66. I heard those sorts of things that emphasized interesting harmonies and closer harmonies. So that was kind of always in my ears. And then my mom and I, because it was just the two of us, for a lot of my life. She loved to sing. And I I do think had she had opportunities and finances, she probably would have been the singer in the family. But those opportunities weren't there for her for a variety of reasons. But we used to harmonize all the time. So she'd sing like Nat King Cole's Pretend, and I would be an echo to that. And anything that was on the radio, she would find a harmony part. So I copied her and did the same thing at age five or six. So my ears got trained early to think about not the melody. And I kind of carried that through into high school when, now we're really going back to when Casey Kasem was doing American Top 40 every Saturday morning. So we had our boom boxes with the cassettes. So if you wanted to, you couldn't just look it up on the internet, right? So I would record songs and then listen to them over and over and not only try to figure out the lyrics because you couldn't look those up on Google either, (laughs) but also try to kind of figure out the basic chord structure, what was going on. And with my very limited keyboard skills, as I didn't grow up, having piano lessons, I did learn enough to understand a major chord, a minor chord, and a seven chord, and like a diminished chord. So I would play around and try to figure out what was going on in these songs. So all of that comes up to, then you go to college to be a music teacher. And of course you do the sort of classical acapella things like magical singers and stuff. Still wasn't really something that kind of, you know, bit me and said, oh, you want to do something with this. Until I got to the time when Spike Lee did that amazing video, Do It Acapella. Now, by that time, I had heard Lady Smith Black Mombazo and just had been blown away by the gorgeousness of that whole music. And I had heard Sweet Honey in the Rock. So that was definitely in my ears. But when that video came out, now I'm hearing the Persuasions and I'm hearing the Mint Juleps. And I had already seen Rockapella in their next version on Carmen Sandiego, you know, when that came out. And then I heard this group called Take Six. And I'm like, who knows those guys? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is that thing? So I remember seeing them on this video. It was a bootleg video that a professor at Wesleyan had made and said, you know, you might be interested in this. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I threw it in the thing. And then as I think a lot of us, you know, like my, my mind was blown. Then I remember mentioning them to my husband who we'd only been married a couple of years since at that time. He goes, oh yeah, I've got one of their records. And he pulls out the debut album on vinyl. 
And I'm like, why didn't you tell me you had this? Like, they didn't even... <laughs> you know, we were big Manhattan transfer fans. So I knew he had that one, but I didn't even know that was in the collection. So I put it on and was like, whoa, okay. So that was kind of the beginning of my more sophisticated acapella ear. Leave all that aside for many years because there really wasn't much for me to do with that because I teach K through five general music, not high school, not college level. So it, it just was always just something I liked, I loved and appreciated for me. When I sang in bands, yes, if we were doing old swing stuff, we'd do it in tighter harmony. My husband was part of a, a harmony group. He's a saxophonist, and he was singing in a group that was doing older style jazz harmony. But it just wasn't something that was ever going to come into my use or my world. So fast forward, well, kind of to 2013, I had seen Take Six in concert a few times just as, as a fan. But in 2013, through some circumstances, I got an opportunity to actually sing with them. It was something, it was like a, an opportunity that they put out and not a lot of people got to do it, but a few of us did. Most of the people who got to do it are actual acapella vocalists who really know what it means to do that. For me, it, I'm just a regular old, you know, regular girl and just jumped up there and sang Claude's part on a song. And though I can't say it's, um, it was perfection, by any means it was there. Just being in that space with people who you know, you've looked up to not only musically, but just spiritually and philosophically for so long was amazing. And I felt like it lit a couple of fires underneath me. One is my own growth as a vocalist. That's a, another topic. But it kind of got me to thinking about some things. And then the other thing was when the sing-off came on. And my daughter was watching it in her high school music class and talking to me about it. I didn't pay a lot of attention to it at first, but the year that... The year after Pentatonix, you know how it's like there's there's BP and there's AP, right? <laughs> yes. So it was the year after. So it was home freeze year on the sing-off. I happened to have a surgery that had me sitting on the couch for a while. So we recorded episodes and I started watching this variety of music and being aware of Pentatonix at the same time. I was also beginning to work at this school that I work at now and being an arts magnet we didn't want to just have chorus and just have band, even though that's great. We wanted to do some things that were innovative. And I, my wheels started turning like, is it even possible to do anything like this? The kids were in love with pentatonics. I mean, what, what if? What if something like this could happen? So I start hunting around on the internet and lo and behold, I find this woman down in the DC area, Maryland area, that's doing this with little kids named Amanda Cornelia. Look at that. And I start looking at these videos and looking at this project and saying, my God, they're doing this. This woman's doing this with little kids. So I called her up. Did I not, right? Yes, I was little... going to say, we had a conversation several years back. That's when I met, quote unquote, met you. And That's I was right. so excited to hear someone else wanted to work with with young children Kids. and mm -hmm. you know yeah, and mine was just an after school program so to hear someone wanted to put it in an actual curriculum was so exciting and the cool part is it's not everybody who's in a school where they're going to buy into that i have an amazing principal carlos leal yes i'll shout him from the top of the hills because he is really allowing us to use if we've got a great idea he's behind us exploring it he knows that not everything that starts out as a great idea is going to go but he's about letting us take the journey and see where it leads us because sometimes it even leads you someplace else that you didn't expect. So that was cool. And so then what I did was I got an opportunity to apply for a grant through a fellowship through the Fund for Teachers, which is a national organization that gives $5,000 and $10,000 grants for teachers to 
create their own unique professional development. It's very competitive, but nonetheless, Connecticut happens to have a couple of foundations that fund Connecticut and upstate New York. So we get a disproportionately higher number of people who get them just because the funding's there. So I created this whole idea of let me go learn some more about how to do acapella with kids. I said, let me go to Camp Acapella. Thought that would be cool. Let me connect up with whoever is out there. And I found JD Frizzell. And so we started to chat. Let me talk with Claude McKnight of Take Six about the Seventh-day Adventist religious tradition is a heavy acapella tradition. So they were probably singing this style, not just when they got to college, but probably from the time they were kids, or at least being around it. So what did that mean? How did that work with kids? And then who could these people then connect me up with further to further my learning? So I wrote the fellowship and obviously I got it. And in 2016, I show up at Camp Acapella and now I'm suddenly sitting at the feet, what I didn't understand, what I had no idea where that journey was going. I really just had no concept of the breadth of the acapella community and what was out there to be explored and the level of just the, the, the level of, of expertise and investment that everyone in the community has in what they're doing. And their willingness to invest in somebody who had no clue who was brand new, who just showed up. Because in some communities, as you know, especially I hate to say it in music ed, it can kind of go the other way. If you're not in that crowd of whatever little sub kingdom, sometimes you're off, you're pushed away or rejected. And it was the opposite of that. It was come on in. What do you want to learn? What do you want to do? Here's my number. Here's my email. And everyone was just so generous with their heart and their time. So I learned a lot in that week. I worked privately with JD on arranging, got to learn some software that I didn't know anything about before. I'm not particularly tech savvy, but I can work my way around NoteFlight now, which is great. And realized that there were no arrangements out there, except, you know, Amanda had her library available to me, but that the best thing that I could probably do is look at the kids in front of me and figure out what they could do and then write for the instrument. I, well, just like, you know, you're going to write for a string quartet. So I need to write for this group of 15 kids and what their skill set is, their strengths and their challenges and the kind of music that they could do. But I didn't want it to sound like adult music coming out of little kids' voices. I wanted it to be credible coming from someone who's nine and 10. Plus I was working with fourth and fifth graders, not able to use any middle school ringers. I didn't want to bring in an adult. I wanted it to be entirely them. And I didn't know what that was going to mean, but I really just wanted it to be authentically their their expression of, of acapella at their level. And you know, what I've learned through doing this and watching your group continue on doing this is kids are far more capable than I think a lot of people give them credit for. Even in, you know, aside from the, the school program, in our assemblies, we go in for an hour with elementary school students. And when we said that we were going to add a five-minute section of our show where we teach these kids how to sing in uh, two-part harmony plus doing a percussive element, people, and even when we introduce it, you see the teachers going, this is never going to work. <laughs> and, and then it does. And the faces are like, whoa, these kids just learned how to sing two parts in two-part harmony with percussion mm -hmm. in three minutes right. and sounded decent. I'm like, well... Sometimes you just have to let them try, like, don't mm -hmm. underestimate that. That's right. And and there are ways, what I've learned, this is now coming up to be the fifth year of the group, if we can find a way to do it with whatever learning format we have this year. What I, I, I'm learning is just there, there is a way to arrange for younger kids that 
you end up with a result that sounds pretty credible and is decent. This past year, our pop song, we've done a couple of pentatonics tunes, but we did Earth, Wind & Fire sing a song, which you would not think of an Earth, Wind & Fire song as being particularly accessible to fourth and fifth graders. However, if you choose the right Earth, Wind & Fire song, it's got a lot, think about the song, it's got a lot of repetition. The chord changes don't even change on the chorus. It's basically the same thing with some accented chords. If you look at the skeleton of it, right? And what does your ear, and this is this is some stuff that I took away from Deke's arranging class, the year that I took that at Camp Acapella, his bent was not so much, here's the chord you should write, and here's the voicing, and, and all the theory stuff. It was, what is the purpose of arranging a song, regardless of whether it's for acapella, let's say it's just for you to perform. What's the purpose? The purpose of an arrangement is to build a bridge between you and the audience. And my head went, Because if you think about it that way, it completely changes what you're going to choose to do and not do. It's not about being flashy necessarily, unless that's what builds the bridge between you and the audience, right? For your group in particular. So for my little group, what's going to build the bridge? They've got to have something they can learn and be confident enough about that they can then have a little bit of presentation. And we still never quite get to the place where our faces are all the way in it, but we do get to the place where we can do some simple blocking, I won't even call it choreo, along with getting all the parts to happen. So that's my next level in year five, is trying to get some expression in their faces while doing (laughs) choreo, you know, but it's a lot. It's a lot for them to do. But the song, you know, what do you want to hear? Do, do. You got to hear that or it's not sing a song. You got to hear da, 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 da. You got to hear that. Okay. And you got to hear it in octaves, right? And then really, to tell you the truth, you could leave out the whole rest of the song and you'd know it's sing a song. So therefore, let's just put in a little bit of pad in the middle so it has a little bit of glue holding the top and the bottom, but it can be that simple. And then it becomes doable for fourth and fifth graders and people know what it is. It sounds credible. And even then, I was like, oh, how credible is this? Until we started to go to any voices, which Shannon McNulty was the first person who I got in touch with about. So, all right, we've got these kids. What can I do with them? How can they learn? How can I learn more? And immediately JD said, you need to talk to Shannon and crew up there. So I emailed her and she's like, come on up. So we went up our very first year, walked down in front of the stage, really still didn't understand that we were in front of these high school groups of such caliber and that there were also clinicians in the room who you guys know where they sit in the echelon of the acapella world, but I had no idea, which is good, probably. It's a better way to start, I (laughs) promise. No, it was much better to to not know. I found out later and I went, oh my God. So the little kids, they walked up in front. We were doing pentatonic sing. Why didn't I just start? Let's just tackle the big thing. That was our first year. I had a lead singer who was like a little Michael Jackson, uh, Mr. Jalik, just, he needed nothing. He went home, did his own work, had his own choreo, was doing little spins in the James Brown stuff up front and he was he was amazing and we just stood up in front on the floor and we sang it and the room exploded was it perfect no but they saw these little kids and then I don't know who it was but someone whose name I I apologize that just at the moment I can't think of his name but someone who is known well known within the high school acapella circuit who actually shared on Facebook or Instagram I just saw at little kids or whatever, or, or such kids singing such such acapella, and they are nine and 10 years old. And, you know, things like mind blown or something. It was just yeah. really cool. And that was very encouraging to me to say, okay, as 
simple as it might be, this is this might be important work that's that awesome. we're doing. So that boy, that's a long circle around <laughs> there. It is. It, it was. It's kind of a strange route, but happy to be there. Absolutely. What is your sort of more broadly, I guess, personal? connection since that's your education connection i wonder if you can talk a little bit about your own singing and your own efforts and connections to acapella personally so that kind of comes from the take six thread i think it's true for everyone who once you've heard take six you're a fan if you're not i don't know where your brain or heart is at <laughs> or at least as a musician listen harder if you, if, go and listen yeah, again if you can hear that yeah if you can hear that and then just kind of walk away from it and say okay i've heard it once i just i don't know how that happens to anyone so kind of becoming a fan and listening and then meeting them and interestingly enough I, of course i met them before i'd gone to camp acapella but what i was struck by immediately going into soundcheck with them for that performance was they're just other people like you and I. And, you know, totally. sometimes some of us get to meet our favorite stars, right? And and usually even if you do get to a meet and greet, there's still this sense of a performance in the meet and greet because it is another show, right? right. Yeah. However, this was not that. This was a sound check. They'd gotten off the van, come in through backstage. I'm sitting in the back of the theater and they come on with, you know, whatever their personal day is on their, you know, on their faces <laughs> and bodies, you know. Tony Huerta, of course, was already there and I had met him already. We chatted and I'm just sitting like a little mouse kind of wanting to make sure I'm not interfering with anything. And they do what they need to do. And Claude said, is there Lisa Marion in the room? And I about fell through the floor. Oh. And when I went up on stage, I expected to say hi, hi, hi and sit down. I was greeted with open arms and a hug. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in the family now. And you know, the acapella world is very much like that. And they reflected what I've seen and since experienced, you know, in that way. And then in continuing the conversation with Claude beyond that time, he ended up becoming the vocal coach for my debut jazz CD. So who knew that? Because that was not in the works. I never thought I'd ever get to record one of those lifelong dreams. And between that and a couple of other very much happenstance sort of meetings, meeting a fellow named John Martino, who is not an acapella musician. He's a pianist. But if you go to New York City, he's kind of the first call pianist for people like Freddie Cole, Janice Siegel of The Transfer, and the list goes on. Piquito de Rivera records with him, Houston person. He's for me to even be in the room. And it was that he came up here to do a gig with someone else. He ended up, it was he and a jazz vocalist in a small space in the same theater where I had sung with Take Six the year before. And, you know, six or seven people showed up at the show because the singer wasn't known. I'm sitting there and she was fine. But man, the second he started to play, I went and I was completely drawn to John. So afterwards, I was just, I must have had star eyes or something. It's just said, my God, you're playing is just, it's otherworldly. And we got in a conversation. He gave me his card threw it in my purse, having no idea that a couple of years later, I would do a Sarah Vaughn tribute concert, because I'm primarily a jazz vocalist, having that go well, saying, geez, I wonder if I should, maybe I should record. Yeah. Getting in touch with John, showing up in a practice room in the city and asking him, I don't even know why you're in this room. You've never heard me sing. <laughs> there's very little out there on YouTube and what's out there is marginal. I'm just going to leave it that way. And he said, I don't know, there's just something about you. So it was kind of, again, a happenstance thing. And then over a couple of years, met when we could. I'd you know, take a ride down when I could, usually on the other side of Take Six being a blue note or something cool like that. And we 
to practice a few tunes and he came up here for a gig. And by 2017, we laid down instrumentals and in 18, finished the vocals in the spring. Because in between there, I had a major back surgery. Oof. And then, you know, just a little bit of a way, uh, a sidetrack there. And it released in October of 18. So I can now cross that off the, the bucket list, which is nice. So, you know, I still am, my, my connection to the acapella world it isn't really as a performer. It's really just as as an absorber, I feel like. It's beyond being an audience member. I feel like there's something in absorbing acapella that's different. And absorbing, I think, is how to describe it. Because there's the human element, obviously, because there's no instruments. When it's done with commitment and integrity in any of the genres, subgenres of acapella, takes on a life that's so far beyond what it can take on even in a band. Yeah. But I imagine, too, that it, it informs your own performance, right? Like the elements that you hear and also the sort of are exposed to have an impact on mm -hmm. your own choices about how, about what you perform and how you perform and maybe even some of the adjustments you make to the arrangements themselves that you decide to perform. There are definitely things in my ear that I don't think would be in my ear harmonically certainly without listening to take six because the chord voicings are so extended with what they do. So then again, when I can work with a pianist like John, his ears are there too. So he's already there in that, you know, this is going to be a 13 and a sharp 11 and all these kinds of funky tensions that, you know, some pianists are going to figure that out, but some need to be told. So at least I do feel like I do have a vocabulary now that I can share when I need to about some <laughs> harmonic things that are maybe a little bit more interesting. I mean, hey, it would be a blast to sing it an acapella group. It's just, I don't have the wherewithal to start something around here. And there isn't a lot going on on my side of the state. There, there's nothing really happening on my side of the state that is within my reach kind right. of thing. So, And it's funny to hear you talk about, you know, the harmonies of Take Six and how that informs. I challenge anyone out there to go and listen to Take Six and not only find Dave Thomas's part, but sing it. <laughs> I listen over and over and over again. And I'm like, where is he? Like, I watch him sing on stage. And I'm like, his note just kind of melts into everything else. And you're like, you know, for people to be able to hear that, I'm like, how, where is he? <laughs> I, I, well, you notice that when I, I mean, obviously, you have the Sam Robsons and, and the Jacob Colliers and such who, you know, we don't know what they hear, really. It's not accessible to anyone otherworldly. else. <laughs> otherworldly, yes. But you notice that when you find someone who kind of slides themselves in on a take six part, very rarely are they sliding themselves in on Joey or Dave's part. Right. <laughs> That's not where they're going. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I've been trying to challenge myself just to, my next goal in life is to listen to Mark's part. I think it's time since I've listened to everything enough and picked up some pieces of melody here and there. It's time for me to try to find Mark's part. And I figure if I can find Mark's part over the next couple of years, then maybe there's a chance I might be able to find one of the others. I played around with the baritone a little bit and can sort of, sort of hear that sometimes, but yeah, it, it's just great exercise for your ears if it's nothing else. And then just their whole, the, the ministry that's behind their music has been life-saving for me during those times when I've had various challenges. The back was one. I had a vocal cord hemorrhage in the, in the 90s and didn't think I'd be singing at all when my vocal cords were, it wasn't just a nodule, it was actually a, a polyp from just just being using your voice too much and not with healthy production. So during that time, Take Six got me through. It kept my ears going. It kept me singing in my head. Yeah. At least something that was not only musically 
fulfilling and stimulating, but also from a spiritual perspective. So that was definitely, yeah, that's a, that's a huge way that they're a part of me and what I do. Yeah. In terms of, like, I'm curious, how do you bring that sort of spirituality to the students? Because I think that, you know, part of the connection with the music is also this emotional connection. How do you help them find that element of singing? This year, we really, we started to work on that for the first time. I feel like every year that, especially with the acapella group, although I've been teaching for 35 years, I feel like with the acapella group, this was the first year where I could start to get out of my mechanical head of, all right, here are the three or four parts. Here's how you learn them. Here's how they fit together from a mechanical point of view and start to say, what is this song about? So with sing a song, you know, when you feel down and out. So we started to talk about what are some situations that music has helped you, either allowed you to express where you are or allowed or been cathartic in helping you move forward from where you are. And something that simple, again, these are nine and 10 year olds and they are deep, but you don't have to get crazy, huge, deep. It can be simple, deep, simple can be deep with them. So then before we would sing it, we would try to mention, you know, who can give me one way that music helps you? And it would help to kind of bring them back to why are we singing this song? Because again, this is my music. So I I chose the song. It's like, why didn't I choose something current? Well, not because there wasn't anything current that we could have chosen, but this song had something that I thought was a worthwhile message. But I still have, and Amanda, you'll remember this performance because you were adjudicating it a few years ago in Nashville when we were at JD's festival. And the group's name is going out of my head. That one with If You're Out There, with Lisa's uh, arrangement. Oh, uh, what, there, oh yes, yes, that, yes. The girl, all girls group. So I bought that oh, arrangement. Key from, Harmony, I think was yes, the name of that group. Yes, yes, yes. So I bought that arrangement from Lisa Forkish and I've had it since then. And I need to obviously modify it for my kids. But I think this might be the year to do If You're Out There. Yes. Because of everything that's going on and trying to find a way. I don't want to ignore the big issues that are out there. But I also don't want to burden my nine and 10 year olds in a way. Our community is, we are an arts magnet school regionally, but my community in my school is heavily affected by everything that's going on right now. So what's a way that we can feel empowered to move forward through this? Because in their lifetimes, this isn't going to go away in six months. It's going to be there through their school career into their adult lives. You know, what are these changes that need to happen that are going to happen? Are you going to be a catalyst or are you going to sit by the sidelines and just let someone else do the work? And what does that look like for you? You know, and and it will look different for each one of them, but can they feel empowered to make a difference by saying, you know, I was looking for, you know, a leader and the leader was me that it says in that song. So I feel like this is the year if I get to do this to probably pull that arrangement down. That's beautiful. I can't think of a better way to end our time together. Lisa, thank you so much for your insights and for sharing your story. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. (laughs) That was Lisa Marion. She is the musical educator at Nathan Hale Arts Magnet School in New London, Connecticut. So Rachel, we just had a lovely conversation with Lisa and it also ties back into one of the conversations we had with Brianne Woodward a few episodes back and that's cultivating this interest in music and especially in acapella from a young age. We have a few minutes so let's dig into that a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. So 
I think that one of the things that high school acapella did was build this pipeline of people and getting this interest in acapella music pre-college so that college was not the first place they were introduced to it. And it provided, I think, a sort of opportunity for more experienced people and a higher caliber of singing. And if we rewind and bring that back to middle school, elementary even, that that all that does is just up the game, really, of the talent of the singers. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, any child any exposure to music will make them more musically capable and open them up to more ideas. I think music makes kids more creative, makes them more in tune with their feelings a lot. And, you know, for my own son, yes, I was performing while I was pregnant with him. He was in the little baby Bjorn from the time he was a couple weeks old at rehearsals and shows and all of that. But I mean, he was matching pitch nearly immediately Hmm. um, as soon as he was able to vocalize. And You know, as I mentioned with Lisa, I've worked with elementary school kids. I know it seems daunting, but they can do it. You can't go in with super high expectations and you have to write things that are super simple and you have to be really patient with them, but they can do it. And a lot of it, they don't even need to learn how to read music. They don't need to know any of it. And then it becomes kind of just instinctual for them. I think too, um, developing their ear. Like one of the nice things about introducing music education at that level is that if you tie it into sort of popular music, things you hear on the radio, it gives you an opportunity to really deeply educate these kids in ways that speak to them about music theory and about just developing their own ear that serves them well in the future and... Like I said, just provides a way for just opportunities for more sophisticated performances as the kids get older. Yeah, I mean, there is a place for songs like Row, Row, Row Your Boat and Jingle Bells and all of that in elementary school music. But when you, you're right, when you tie it to popular music or something that they're already connected to, they can do far more than I think music teachers have ever imagined. Definitely not what I was doing in elementary school, but give them the tools. And I think we'll see an even stronger high school acapella program in the next several years as more teachers kind of dig in and aren't afraid to see what happens when they kind of let these kids lose. I love it. Well, make sure that you, if you're interested, you can talk to your own elementary school or middle school and see if there might be a program there that you can help start yourself or get involved in. Yeah. And I know that Lisa is happy to talk and I'm always happy to talk. So reach out on air at Acaville.org and we will get your young kids singing. We'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.